In season two of The Sneak, a podcast from For the Win in USA Today, we will tell the story of surfing champion Jack Roland Murphy, who in 1964 pulled a heist that made him the most famous jewel thief in the country. But that was just the beginning of his story, one that quickly spun out of control and then turned deadly. The Sneak, Murders at Whiskey Creek is available now on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Or experience the entire series right now, ad-free, exclusively on Wondery+. Download the Wondery app and hear all of Season 2 today. The Counter, an NFL podcast from USA Today Sports. What's up, everyone? Welcome to The Counter. I'm Chris Corman, joined by Stephen Ruiz and Charles McDonald. We cover the NFL for For the Win, and we're excited because we got Ravens uh, Bills. And this is the game that we have wanted to see all playoffs. Uh, and everything broke right thanks to uh, really a quite shocking win from the, the Cleveland Browns. Uh, beating the Steelers. We're going to dig into all of that. We're going to uh, talk about what happened in the wild card round. We're going to look ahead to the divisional round. We're going to jump through uh, some of the news in the NFL. Of course, there's coaching carousel stuff. Deshaun Watson maybe demanding a trade, uh, which is intriguing. Uh, so we're going to talk about all of that. But but right now, I just want to hear from you guys. Uh, how how thrilled are you that we are going to get this Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson, Bear? Bears, uh, Bills, Ravens, like it, we just said what we wanted and, and it happened, man. This is, I mean, it doesn't always, it doesn't always give it the, the world. The NFL world does not always give us what we want. It, it usually doesn't actually. And yeah. I feel like this, sa- that saves the playoffs because it wasn't a very good week one for the playoffs. And I don't think it would have been a very good week two had the Steelers mm-hmm. won and we had to watch Ravens Chiefs to, I mean, I think the Ravens are better than they showed in that first matchup between those two teams, but the Chiefs are still a better team. And right. the Bill Steelers, no one needs to see that. <laughs> uh, Charles, yeah. how, are you excited, man? I'm excited. Uh, it, it was a little bit shocking to see uh, Pittsburgh just get absolutely destroyed like that. I mean, e- even when they were starting to come back, never really felt like they had a real chance to win that game. Uh, it, I mean... I, I still am not over how bad they got stomped and the, the jokes about Juju were funny. And now we get uh Bill's Ravens, our beloved Bill's Ravens matchups that we wanted so badly. And, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm actually pretty interested in this uh, Kansas City Cleveland game, too, even though I think that uh, uh, I, I do think the Chiefs are going to win. But I'm interested to see if the Browns can stay in it with Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt. Yeah, man, you uh, one thing I love about you now that I'm like working with you, you know, I always saw your tweets and like understood how you saw the game but now like you sneakily just drop stuff stuff in posts that are like like a it's a big firebomb in the middle of the post like i was reading your thing this morning it was like ah oh, bills ravens we fun and then you're like actually you know what guys the browns might have the ability to, to like they can run the ball so they might be able to grind it out and and they might be able to touch the chiefs and i like almost fell out of my chair when i got to that uh, you didn't even warn me it was coming uh, so I, you know, we're going to spend probably this week really digging in on these matchups and trying to figure out uh, what, what will sway these games and, and how these teams actually 
uh, match up. You guys will will dig in on the film and the numbers. So I'm I'm looking forward to like what we come up with when we've really given it some consideration. But as a first glance sort of thing, I'm intrigued by you being intrigued by the Browns. Uh, so that should be fun. Uh, let's, let's start, let's, let's rewind all the way to Saturday. We, we're going to talk about these games in order of relative, uh, interestingness, uh, how, how much we enjoyed watching these games and the storylines that came out of them. So we're going to go to Bill's Colts, uh, just because this, it was actually close. Like this, the, uh, the Colts probably should have won this game. I don't, you guys were watching more closely than I was on Saturday. I was trying to wrangle my children, so I'm not sure how focused I was, but it, it sure felt like the Colts were in control of this game a, a, a lot of the time and, and were more productive, more efficient and should have won. But the bills had Josh Allen making some absurd plays and it, it worked. Whereas last playoffs, uh, Allen made absurd plays in in the negative. This time it worked out. Uh, so what's your takeaway from this? I felt like I was watching a Chargers game from like the past decade. <laughs> yeah. Where they should have won. They were the better team. And like just a bunch of things had to happen for them not to win. And they didn't. And I just feel so bad for Philip Rivers, who played like one of the best games of the weekend. I think his QBR was like 90 out of 100. And he still lost. It's just so sad. Yeah, I mean the the like you said, it just felt like uh, it felt like a Chargers game, and Philip Rivers was so good, but it, it just kind of comes down to like these uh, outlier plays, I guess, uh, coming together for them. Where you have uh, on the fourth down, where people said they should kick the field goal. I mean, you get the right read, you get enough time to make the throw, and it's just like an inch too far outside of uh, Michael Pittman's hands for the touchdown, which will put you up. 17 to 7, like right before halftime. And then the Bills go 96 yards in 90 seconds, score a touchdown, which is like, you know, that that's pretty hard to do and it still happened anyway. Uh, and then you missed a field goal later that would have been a crucial three points to have at the end of the game. And obviously, like the Bills, you, you'll play a little differently depending on what the score is, but still, like those three points would have been pretty nice to have at the end. And you, you had Philip Rivers playing one of the best games we've seen from him, like, and I think in quite some time until uh, like the the end uh, throws in the last drive, and it just got wasted. And it the end like, was depressing. The end, oh, that last drive was so depressing, <laughs> especially the hail mary throw at the end. Like they were on like the forty eight or like <laughs> at, at midfield at the farthest, and he couldn't even get it to the end zone. I was like. You need to retire, dude. Now I see why they keep putting set <laughs> into the uh, the situations. But yeah, so, it, it sucked. So my tinfoil hat conspiracy is that this means Philip Rivers is retiring. That he want he was like, no, I want to. They would have if he was coming back next year. They would have put Kobe <laughs> in and let him throw that hail mary. He's like, no, I, I, if my arm falls off, it's fine. I'm, <laughs> I'm dying on the field. I feel like he was like, no, I'm not going out like that. Like I want to throw a pass in my last game. That's that's my thought. I think Phil Rivers is done, and and honestly, he probably should be. Like he doesn't need to keep taking hits, and like he's not going to win a Super Bowl. His legacy, whatever it is, it's already written. Nothing's going to change. Just retire and go look after your. 1500 kids <laughs> they need a father <laughs> i uh honestly we talk about the nfl all the time uh, like the three of us are talking 
about this league 12 hours a day. And like, I am shocked at how much this creeped up on me. The fact that like all these dudes are retired. Like it looks like CBS was just talking about Drew Brees. Like, yeah, he's definitely retired. Like they, they acted like it was just going to happen. That Drew Brees, this was his last season. Philip Rivers, it's sure like he had a quote after this game that was something like, well, yeah, when you think it might be your last game, Ben Roethlisberger was crying on the bench after last night's game. Like the, these, these players who've been really the faces of a, you know, decade and a half of NFL football are all, it sure looks like they're all gone. Uh, what, Charles, I know you wrote about the Colts' future. Like, what what happens with the Colts moving forward if Rivers does decide to uh, hang it up? And uh, should they even want Rivers? Like, where where do they go next? I think you want Rivers. Uh, what I think you do this offseason is, like, you coax Rivers into coming back for one more year, and then you go get a, a dude in the draft. Like, if yeah. one of these teams at the top of the draft – uh, like Atlanta or, uh, you know, even Philadelphia, like if they decide not to take a quarterback, then uh, you're going to have a nice little spot to jump up if you're a Colts and you want to be like that aggressive and make that happen. But, uh, you know, I think you got to get Rivers back for one more year because if you don't get Rivers back, then then you're in a situation like where you desperately need someone to start for you this upcoming year. Uh. And I think that you might get like stuck talking yourself into trading for Carson Wentz potentially, or uh, if you're talking about that, you might as well just go ahead and trade up, you know, 15 picks in the first round and and try to get someone like Trey Lance or Zach Wilson to come be your guy. But uh, you know, that, that Phillip Rivers question is the key. And I, it's kind of like the key for every team in the off season. Like if we have quarterbacks fill out for at least a year, then we can kind of figure out, uh, what else we want to do with our roster. But uh, if, if and if they can't get Rivers back, that kind of sucks for them because they need to spend resources on cornerback and edge rusher and try to get like some more impactful players at impactful positions on their defense. And that's also an area where they kind of got stuck uh, on Saturday against the Bills. So, you know, getting Rivers back will be huge. But, you know, regardless whether he's there or not, they need to have a young guy for the future in there because I think we saw in that Hail Mary that this – thing doesn't have too much longer uh steven tell me about your read of josh allen at this point uh his numbers from this game and from this season uh show a pretty a pretty complete quarterback he had the best uh cpoe per next gen stats of the weekend at 9.4 um i i don't know man like how good is Josh Allen at this point? I think that's a question we're going to be asking every season, and it's going to be a different answer every season just because of how he plays. And right. we've talked about this in regards to Russ, where he's so good out of structure that there's going to be some volatility over the course of a game, over the course of a season, and over the course right. of his career. And I think we're seeing the high end of him of his skill level right now. We're seeing what he looks like when everything is great around him. And I, it's higher than I ever thought it would be. So I'm, mm-hmm. I'm already taking an L on that. I just, I'm wondering now, like what is his floor? And right. I don't know. I don't know if we're ever going to see it this year, just because of, like I said, everything is perfect around him, especially that pass protection. I feel like that's kind of been the underrated thing about this bill's offense is that Allen just has so much time to, 
sit back in the pocket and find things. And then he's really escaping out of the pocket, like by choice. I don't, there's not a lot of times where he's forced out of the pocket. And I'm just wondering how is, how, how sustainable is that? If they're not able to keep this offensive line together. And if maybe the receiving court falls off a little bit, but at the very least, he's a starting quarterback and, that's more than anybody thought we would be saying about him. What was it? Four years ago when he was drafted three years ago. Right. Uh, yeah. I was actually, I'm glad you brought up Wilson. Cause I was going to ask you if that was the, the corollary for Allen uh, and Wilson had the worst completion percentage over expectation of the weekend at negative 11.3, but like no one would say they don't want Russell Wilson. They would just say he's a high variance player. Uh, but I, I think you're right. We're still sort of identifying with Allen how much variance there is and, and how varied it can get. Uh, how low is it liable to go? Um, but, you know, we're going to have a great test against. I do Williams. think I, I do think Wilson is a more like polished player, though. Like he's he loves these volatile situations, but I think he's more polished all around. Right. So I don't. Can Allen, are you saying that Allen can't get there or. I mean, maybe he can. It's just, it's just hard to like. Wilson is basically like a perfect thrower of the football, and he can like throw it in any situation outside the pocket. I think Wilson or uh, Allen is more of just like a pure thrower, and he's been accurate this year. But I don't. I mean, is that accurate going to be real? Like he made such a jump and leap in his deep passing accuracy that I. I mean, you have to think that some of it is a little fluky. And it's going to regress to the mean next year. Right. I mean, but we also thought that it was not even possible to happen in the first place. That's true. Right? Like, it's right. just never, no, no player has really improved to this level. Uh, I don't know. It just remains a fascinating story. So I can't wait to see what happens against. One, one thing we never, we haven't, we didn't hear after this game was like the questions about his long term sustainability and just health wise, because he is a guy that runs just head on into defenders. And like, we hear that about Lamar. Anytime he's running, we hear, we heard it about cam during his MVP season. I think it's a, a big thing with Josh Allen, who is right now. He's so reliant on his ability to throw like any, I think any hit to his physical ability will really impact him more, more so than a guy like Deshaun Watson, who's, really developed into a pure quarterback who can win even if he can't run. Right. I think Allen is a little more reliant on his athleticism. Yeah. I agree with that. Uh all right, let's let's go to Ravens Titans cuz that was another good game. Uh, a lot of uh a lot of stuff heading into this one I feel like, you know, because the Ra- the the Titans had the stomping on the logo thing at, in Baltimore last time and John Harbaugh went out to uh, confront some players and and then the Ravens lost. So so the Titans knocked the Ravens out of the playoffs last year and then they lost a close game this year in overtime when Derrick Henry ran for a touchdown. Uh, and then we had this like silly narrative <laughs> like of, of Lamar Jackson hasn't won a playoff game. He only had two, he had two chances to win a playoff game. And one of them was he was running a Joe Flacco design, like an offense built for Joe Flacco in his eighth game of his career. Uh, but anyway, um, Lamar did it. He was he was great. I mean, the numbers were not fantastic, but uh, he had a run that I'm not sure any other quarterback, maybe Michael Vick, but not any other quarterback in the history of the league would have would have been able to make that TD run. Uh, and 
he he did what he needed to do. And what were your takeaways from this game? And and you know, we've been we've been high on the Ravens. We sort of tepidly were set like each week we're like, ah, we think the Ravens will will eventually put it together. And they have. So what are you guys seeing from this team? I was uh pretty pleased. Uh, you know, as a noted Lamar Jackson fan. And outside of like that one uh Really, really bad interception to Malcolm Butler. I thought he pre- played a, a pretty clean game. And uh, I, I, I was glad to see the Q- ESPN's QBR number back me up on that. He had an 84.6 grade uh, for the game. It seemed just like whatever, like whenever Baltimore needed to play and really over the last like month, whenever they need to play, like Lamar just seems to just put this team on his back and, mm-hmm. and get them where they need to go. Like that scramble for... Uh, uh, a touchdown that he had was just, you know, like you said, it's like it's like Lamar and Michael Vick are the two dudes that you know can score uh, in that situation, and uh, he he just like he it, it was good to see him get like that monkey off his back where he gets the playoff win and he plays well against a team that's kind of owned them recently, and uh, you know, just a, a pretty impressive performance from the Ravens' offense. Like, hopefully. You know, the, one of the takeaways I have from this uh, game was like, hopefully they just continue to add talent around Lamar in the offseason because, you know, obviously he's good enough to carry it by himself, like we saw uh, on Sunday. But it, it'd be nice to have some other guys involved at times. Yeah. Like J.K. Dobbins only had nine carries. Gus Edwards had eight carries. Uh, Lamar had 16 and 24 attempts, and he was sacked five times. Like, that's a, that's a pretty hefty workload uh, for any NFL player. So, uh, yeah, it's it, it's fun to watch like the hero ball at times. Uh, but hopefully we can get some more playmakers in there this off season. Uh, yeah, but that, hey, that hey, was, we got the round too. Yeah, that was a really shocking thing to come out of this game. I think is you just really realized how few options the Ravens have. Like, yeah, and Andrews is is not always sure handed. He had those big drops last year. Hollywood Brown, same deal. Like, you know, a lot of people were just laughing at the fact that the Ravens ended up throwing the ball to Patrick Ricard three times uh, on the opening drive of the second half because he's this big defensive tackle turned fullback. But, like, the Ravens actually had to do that. <laughs> like, they, they were – they had they had no other plays that were working. Uh, and that's actually something – that's that's a concerning point, I think. Uh, so, uh, they definitely need more help for Lamar. I, I thought it was so – different to watch Lamar to your point your previous point Stephen about Josh Allen like sort of working out of structure and needing to be able to run to set things up uh Lamar Jackson it's different watching Lamar Jackson run like he he does so much with a purpose now obviously I think the Ravens are using him on a little bit more designed runs uh so he has a purpose when he gets the ball but uh he he just really understands like what is going on and where the lanes are going to be and when he needs to run and when he should stick and throw the ball. Uh, like his understanding, like, I mean, the dude just turned 24 a couple of days ago uh, and his understanding and, and pocket presence or, or just field presence is, is really amazing. Yeah. He's like watching a, a great basketball player, just his spatial awareness. And he knows like, if I move this way, it's going to manipulate this defender into doing this. And I think it's one of those things that where like when we're breaking down film and posting clips to Twitter, we like attribute those thoughts to the quarterback. But really, if you ask Lamar, he's probably just like reacting and like 
either he's just a natural natural player and just yeah. he's just so good at football. I don't know. And it just goes back to the whole pre-draft conversation like how could you not watch this guy and go, "Oh yeah, he's very good at football and we should draft him highly because of that." Uh yeah, I mean there was uh, I think somebody somebody posted I saw a tweet today like somebody saying like, "Oh yeah, I was at a high school game with a scout from University of Miami, you know, and obviously uh Jackson grew up in Southern Florida and I was like, you, you should get this guy. And they just la- like people have been underestimating Lamar Jackson for, for years now. And it's, uh, I, you know, it's just based on this, like these antiquated ideas of how you're supposed to play quarterback and, and not just not stopping and like watching, you know, like, like you hear people say like, watch the film nerd, like watch the game. Like if you watch Lamar Jackson, he's absurdly good at football. Yeah. You're, I think we're overthinking all of this. Like, People are probably going to look at his passer rating yesterday and be like, oh, he had a 78 passer rating. He wasn't that good. But if you look at all the advanced metrics, like he averaged 0.2 EPA per drop back and he had absolutely no help. So that's really good. Like Chuck said, he had an 84 QBR. Like the advanced metrics are capturing how brilliant this player is. I don't know why people are so – I do know why, but why are we so reluctant to just accept that even if it does look a little different, like this guy is obviously just a force on the football field. Right. And I mean, Ryan Tannehill yeah. was not any better. He was 18 for 26 for 165 yards. He threw for fewer <laughs> yards, you know, I mean, and, and Lamar was sacked five times. He was under a lot of pressure. Uh, and so he played well. Yeah. He, he had, a, he had a clean game. And I, and on the flip side, like this Ravens defense is really, right. really starting to figure it out uh, over the past month or so. I mean, they they shut down Derrick Henry and uh, like I, I'm pretty 2. sure two yards a carry two point two yards per carry. I'm pretty sure Derrick Henry didn't rush for a first down the entire game. His longest carry was eight yards, and they even stuffed him on like a third and one. And uh, I actually kind of just went back in uh because I'm kind of a defensive line front seven meathead, and I kind of went back and watched those Derrick Henry plays and. Dude, Pernell McPhee put on like the performance of a lifetime against the run, not just in terms of, you know, actually making the tackles, but just destroying blockers on the edge. Uh, he, he had, he had a, on one of these Derek Wolf sacks, he was the smasher on like one of these stunts and he took out two offensive linemen. Uh, and like, you just see that physicality in the pass game, in the run game. And uh, it, it was just so cool to see Baltimore's defense just completely step up to the challenge. And shut down Derrick Henry. I mean, I, I don't know. I, I mean, uh, I don't know what like decision making went into that. Uh, the the punt that they kicked uh, early in the, f- the fourth quarter that kind of lost in the game. But I can understand if Mike Vrabel was like, I don't trust Derrick Henry to get two yards in the situation because he struggled to all game. And uh, I think Next Gen Stats had a number that said Derrick Henry got hit at or behind the line of scrimmage on eleven of his eighteen rushing attempts. I mean, it was just an absolute massacre. And I, and I don't really know how much this has to do with like the Titans offense at large, but obviously it hurt them to not have Derrick Henry going. And it wasn't just that they shut down Henry, like they shut down Henry and weren't giving up big chunk plays in the passing game after that initial drive, like doing both of those things. That's like an amazing feat. And it gives me confidence about this Ravens defense going forward. And which is a good thing because I don't really have confidence in the offense still, even despite Lamar's brilliance, and that's because of Greg Roman. Yeah. 
who showed me yeah. nothing on Sunday. Yeah, on Sunday. Not, I thought Greg did not have a great day uh, at all on Sunday. Yeah, and, yeah, and the Raven. That's a good point about the chunk plays because, like, it, if there's one thing that Tennessee's going to do, even if they get into like a little bit of a rut, you know that they're good for you know a, a 50 yard Derrick Henry run, a 60 yard AJ Brown catch, or uh, something along those lines, and. They just got nothing after those first couple of drives where it looked like they're about to score 40 points. They got completely shut out. Uh, yeah, I, I don't really have any like big referendums on how Ryan Tannehill played or anything like that. I just thought it was just a great performance by the Ravens defense. Yeah. I mean, credit Eric DaCosta for making some, I mean, traded for Marcus Peters last year. Uh and then went out and got Calias Campbell, who I think is 32, 33 years old, uh, you know, but gave up some capital for him and to fix this problem, uh, you know, he's really like systematically addressed the, the problems that the Ravens had. And they've been uh, like, you can tell that they're, they're getting better where they need to and ascending right now. Uh, what do we think about the uh, Titans offense uh, laying this egg? Arthur Smith, the offense coordinator seems like he's still, still one of the hottest uh names out there in the coaching carousel uh do we just think i mean is this a case where the ravens defense just showed up and and made it impossible i think it is i mean i i'll say this as a fan of a team that's interviewing arthur smith i think arthur smith is actually a pretty strong uh candidate for the falcons job uh to actually be the next head coach it's i like it, it was not all that concerning for me i mean you just kind of got your teeth kicked in by the Ravens front seven. And I don't really think that it, it means anything about what he's done this season and, and, and uh, what's next for him. You know, you, you just kind of got beat by the better defense. And I and remember last year uh, in Kevin Stefanski's last game with the Vikings. I mean, they got absolutely punched in the mouth by the 49ers. Yeah, that's and true. That didn't really seem to matter that much for Cleveland this year. So I'm, I'm, I'm still in on the Arthur Smith stuff. Uh, I'm not really concerned by what we saw with Baltimore at all. I thought that Martindale put together just an absolutely brilliant game plan, especially from a blitzing standpoint. And uh, they shut down Derrick Henry. So it happens. Yep. Uh, All right, let's talk Brown Steelers. This is the uh, Ravens Titans was the one o'clock game on Sunday. Brown Steelers closed out the slate. uh, And just (laughs) as Charles said earlier, I mean, this was, I, I, it's, Hard to see. I mean, like, I don't think anybody saw this coming but just because the Browns had uh, they spent most of the week not being able to meet in person. They were prepping virtually. They didn't have practices. I think they had one practice uh, and I think it was maybe Friday. Um, Kevin Stefanski was not allowed at the game. He was not allowed to to the, to communicate with the other coaches. So and, and he's really the one. You know, I think I think we all agree like we're he's the guy we're giving the most credit to for putting the Browns where they are for figuring out how to use Baker Mayfield uh, make this work. Now, yeah, you you assume that his assistants are in on that philosophy and can also do it, but that's that's a pretty heavy assumption. Uh, and and they also were uh, was without Joel Batonio, who's second team all pro guard and cornerback Denzel Ward. Like this game, everything about this game screamed that the Browns were just going to be overmatched. They just had to play the Steelers in a game where the Steelers didn't care. Uh, they were they were resting players, uh, and they game planned basically to not show anything. They were just sort of using a vanilla game plan. 
Uh, whereas the Browns had to show stuff. They had to give it their all. They, they had to go for it. They had to play all their players. Uh, so everything about this said that the Browns would not come out and stomp the Steelers. And yet they did. Uh, and part of that's just, it's not like we ever believed in the Steelers, right? Like we, we, when the Steelers were undefeated, Steven was calling the Steelers frauds. Um, but it just all fell apart. I mean, this team could not rally. It rallied a little bit, uh, but after that o- opening missed uh, snap that led to a Cleveland touchdown, just man, it just crumbled. Uh, and it was just a just a weird game. I'm not sure how much we're taking from it, like moving forward, but uh, it it <laughs> it certainly was interesting to watch as it was going on. Yeah, I think the number that not a lot of people are pointing out, and it's my biggest takeaway from the game, is the fact that according to next-gen stats, and everyone has a different definition of pressure, but according to next-gen stats, Baker Mayfield wasn't pressured one time on Sunday. And I don't think I've ever seen that before in an NFL game. That's crazy. I've been covering the league for like five or six years now, and I've never heard of that. And that was with a banged-up offensive line. And I think that speaks to how dominant the, the Browns, especially in the trenches, were on Sunday. Yeah. I mean, the whole game was just an absolute ass kicking. Uh, yeah, I mean, the Steelers shot themselves in the foot on the first play of the game, but I, I, I like, I wasn't surprised by an outcome of the Browns winning, but the manner in which they did was just unbelievable. I mean, it, it was twenty-eight to nothing before you could even blink, and uh, like when the Steelers were starting to come back, like it just kind of felt like, yeah, they're they're playing around, they're getting close, but. They were never really able to stop the Browns all night long. Uh, you know, for, for what Mayfield was asked to do, he played uh, a fairly clean game. And if the Browns are going to put up performances like that, like I don't think they're going to beat the the Chiefs. But like again, you know, you have the two two of the maybe five or ten best running backs in the league. Like you, you're in a spot where Kareem Hunt's your backup, and he's like your clear backup. Uh, this this offensive personnel is just I think they're like almost suited for a little playoff run and uh, I'm really excited to see like the, the game plan that Stefanski puts together against uh, Kansas City and you're going to get uh, Joe Petonio back too next week hopefully Steven you wrote about Roethlisberger and what's next uh, as I said he was spotted on the bench after the game uh, looking very emotional uh, you pointed out that like his performance last night was pretty much just like a microcosm of his year. He was actually 47 for 68 for 501 yards, uh, four touchdowns, but also four interceptions. And, uh, you know, he was he, he started chucking the ball downfield later in the game when it was when it was totally desperate. Uh, but before that, it was a lot of a lot of the typical Ben Dink and Dunk that we're used to. Uh, I mean, what what happens with this guy? Like, I mean, it just he he looked broken all season long. I mean, I mean, there were spells where he looked like a shadow of his former self, but for most of it, he just looked nothing like that player. Yeah, I think his his time as a viable starting quarterback is is basically done. And like, he had a decent wide receiver core to work with this year, and it was still as ugly as it was. So I'm not sure what 
offense there is out there that can make him look a lot better than he was in 2020. And he's going to be worse going forward because he's not going to get, he's not getting any younger. He's not getting any more athletic. Like he can barely move now. Like right. watching him go after that, that miss snap on oh, the first play, God. it was like awesome. painful. And he has like, you watch him and you're like, why is this guy still playing football? Anytime he has to move, I think it's a problem for the Steelers offense. And that was the opposite. The opposite was true at his, in his prime when he could move and create and hold on to the ball a little bit longer. And that's how the Steelers got their chunk plays. Now that's not a thing. And he's just inaccurate on those deeper throws. So you're relying on those dink and dunk plays. And even in those plays, his accuracy has been off. And we saw it in this game against the Browns. There were a couple of throws that were just outside of the reach of Eric Ebron. It's kind of in that middle, that gray area between a drop and a bad throw. But we've been seeing that all year. And if he can't consistently complete those passes and he's missing everything downfield, I don't know how you build an offense out of this. Yeah. And I mean, as you point out, like the the Steelers, they have to decide pretty quickly because he gets a roster bonus on what the third day of the league year. Uh, so this decision, what the Steelers want to do and, if Ben makes it easy on them and decides to retire, then that's one thing. But uh, otherwise, it's that's a tough decision for for this franchise to make, given that he's been the face of it for so long. Okay, but are are we putting it past Ben to wait until that third day of the league year and then retire? I mean, that's just the business decision, man. <laughs> I, I think that's what I do. I like. Yeah, yeah, I mean, do you have any hits I took for you guys? Yeah, <laughs> it's a lot of money. Yeah, that's, I, mean, that's a good point. I don't like to side with Ben Roethlisberger on anything, but uh, I will on this one, I guess. So. I, I've seen like a uh, suggestion out there that he should take a pay cut, but like yeah. that's not how these things work. He can't take a pay cut. A lot of that money that's guaranteed is prorated, so the Steelers have already paid him. So unless he's going to pay them back, and I don't even think that would affect the salary cap, he, it's not even like he can take a pay cut. And also, right. that doesn't f- fix your problem of still having a crappy quarterback, too. Like, <laughs> yeah. you're still in the same spot. You just have a little bit more money to get closer and get your, your dreams crushed again when it counts again. Yeah. How does that fun? Start over. Right. It's time. It's time, Pittsburgh. Move on. It's time. Uh, Rams, Seahawks. Man, the Seahawks were bad. It was just like, uh, just what? What happened here? Like, what what happened to the Seahawks team that we saw early in the season, especially, but other times where, like, Metcalf and Russ just looked totally unstoppable, and none of that was there. I mean, is it all Jalen Ramsey? Is it Brandon Staley? Like, what I don't know. is happening? It was, like, all of the above. In uh, that 30-20 score, like, it was not even that close because yeah. uh, Seattle scored a little garbage time touchdown. Uh, and the Rams played without a quarterback. Like, the Rams didn't have a quarterback. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, the Rams basically played without a quarterback. Yeah, they played without a quarterback, and Aaron Donald got hurt, and they right. just absolutely took it to Seattle. Uh, and Cooper Cup got hurt, like, late in the game, so that, that might be something to watch for next week. But uh, this was such an impressive performance for the Rams. I mean, obviously, we, we, we've talked about it, how when we talked about Mino you know, last week, like how the Seahawks has – Offense has kind of sputtered a little bit, maybe the reasons why. But to really hold them to like no meaningful big plays outside of that uh, 51-yard touchdown to DK Metcalf, uh, and even that came when the Rams had already put up a 10-point lead. Like uh, Just the totality of just what a 
beatdown that was, it, it was impressive to see. And, uh, you know, it, it's kind of like how I feel about the uh, the Browns going to the Chiefs. Like, I don't think the Rams can, can beat the Packers. It's going to be tough with mm. the quarterback situation that they have. But, you know, this Rams defense is playing at such a high level right now. Like, they, they can at least hold Green Bay to, like, a respectable scoring output. Uh, like, right. I, I don't think that they'll be quite as dominant as they were against uh, against the Seahawks where they held Russell Wilson to 142 net passing yards uh, and, you know, one touchdown in a meaningful uh, – one fo- one touchdown – one passing touchdown in, like, meaningful football action. But right. uh, they're, they're playing such good football right now. And I thought that it was telling when Aaron Donald – left the game with a rib injury, they didn't really miss a beat in terms of their production. So uh, Brandon Staley's got that group finer on all cylinders. The personnel is meshing so well. That secondary is playing absolutely lights out. And it, it's just kind of cool in this era of football where offense reigns, reigns supreme to just kind of get like this throwback old school win where defense and running game kind of get you to the finish line. Right. Steven, what did what did we learn about the Seahawks? Uh, I feel like we monitored this pretty closely all season. Early on, we thought Russ was going to be the MVP. We thought they were letting him cook, and it was working the way that everyone thought it was going to be. Uh, and then something happened. Uh, it, it just nosedived. And I'm not sure that we can really figure it all out now. It might be something we dig into in the offseason. But like, what are your uh, gut instincts about what happened here? And more importantly, what does Seattle do next? What 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 happens? Uh, is there a coat, an offensive philosophy change? Uh, is something personnel wise? Like is is Pete Carroll's not young, right? Like he's he probably only has a few more years. Is he going to be able to figure out a way to turn this around? I think this was this year or the second half, and what happened with the Seahawks was a win for the football guys. They kind of you know took back some territory against the nerds, mm-hmm. and it shows that. Sometimes you have to run the ball on first down. You can't just be so pass heavy. And all the the worries that people had about Russ cooking it, like would he be able to uh, hang up in a run or a pass heavy offense? Like we saw that he couldn't. And this game, the weird thing about this game, and I watched the film of it last night because I couldn't sleep and I'm a weirdo. Uh, <laughs> the Rams were playing a lot of spot drop coverage like they weren't playing pattern matching zones or anything and the Seahawks still had no answer for it and one of the big issues for Russ was his height like we don't like to blame his height for his issues but that was a big issue on on I guess it was Saturday there were at least four times when he had an open receiver and he just couldn't see him over the line or he had to adjust and he had to move to throw to find a throwing window. It happened at least four times in the first half, and it led to some bad plays, including I think it was the first sack of the game when Donald, it was like a 12-yard sack near the goal line. And I think it just speaks to his issues as a quarterback overall. He overcomes them so well, but against these types of defenses that I think understand his strengths and weaknesses, it becomes a, an issue, and we saw that against the Rams. All right, there were uh, two other games this weekend that were were not all that uh, entertaining. The Bucks and the football team, uh, you know, obviously the NFC East team did not belong in the playoffs. Just sort of a quirk of the system that that one of these teams had to go. We were a little excited to see 
whether Washington's defense and defensive line particularly could create some problems. Uh, and it didn't turn out that way. Really, Tom Brady had a pretty easy go of it. Uh, he was sacked three times, but uh, it felt like the Bucks were were pretty much in control of this for most of the game. Did you guys take anything from this one? No. Uh, <laughs> nope. Uh, the Washington never really felt like they had a chance. Like everyone's going, yeah, Taylor Haneke, whatever. He was never giving them a chance to actually win the game. So I got I got nothing from this. Hopefully next week is better. I mean, I am I am concerned that Washington was able to score as many points as it was, or as they did against this Bucks defense, was which has really been shaky for I think the last two months. Yeah, and that's really concerned with the Saints next up on the schedule because Sean Payton in those first two games that they played, I think he showed that he knows exactly how to attack this Bucks defense. Right, and unless Todd Bowles changes a lot philosophically, I, I think it's going to happen again. Yeah, Bowles seems like a little bit inflexible. Like it, it just doesn't seem like they like obviously Washington playing Taylor Heineke. There was not a ton of tape, uh, but it just seemed like they sort of stick with what they're doing and, and don't really adjust. Uh, are we ever going to hear from Taylor Heineke again? I mean, he was out, he became a big story in the no. way that- <laughs> not a chance. I don't think so. <laughs> Oh man, they've made a t-shirt for him. Jamie Matra made a t-shirt for him. Wow. Yeah, anyone that buys that is a moron. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, slander. There goes there goes our breaking tea sponsorship. Thanks, Steven. <laughs> buddy. This was actually a this is actually a, a commercial, an advertisement for breaking tea. And that was I'm copy. Gonna, I'm gonna send uh, I'm gonna send Jamie Jamie an invoice and see what happens. <laughs> um yeah. Uh, and then there was one other game, the Bears and the Saints. Um, at, at one point during the planning yesterday, I was like, hey, if the Bears somehow pull this out, uh, we can write, we can think about XYZ. And you shamed me for it uh, because even though it was, what was the score? Seven to three at half? I mean, yeah. It was just a clunker of a game. It was like, eh, anything could happen. But then there's something like the Saints like dominated the second half, they're just like, eh, we're going to win this. We'll do this now. Uh, and not a ton to learn. Uh, the, the thing we took away from it was the Saints have Breeze, Kamara, and Thomas all at the same time. Like, uh, we were all a little surprised to hear that they'd only played, what was it, 67 snaps together during the season. Yeah. Uh, it's, we sort of forgot how hamstrung this, this offense was at times. Uh, so now we'll get to see what comes next. Uh, what, what did you guys, anything from this one other, other than Mitchell Trubisky's brilliance? I mean, I was kind of surprised to see at the end of the game that he had like a decent looking, or I guess like not a catastrophe stat line, <laughs> 19 for 29, 199 yards, one touchdown, no picks. But watching him play was just like, Whoa! Uh, <laughs> it's cute. It's like, it was cute. Like they couldn't, they couldn't do anything. Uh, the, the uh, that final or not the final, but the fourth down where it was fourth and four, and he ducked out of bounds at two yards to avoid a hit. I'm like, dude, come on! Like, <laughs> and and that's like, it's like that's not even the first time he's done stuff like that. Like running short out of bounds on fourth down, and it's just it's just not 
it it's not like legit NFL quarterback play. And right. this is like the dangers of the seventh seed. You get a Mitchell Trubisky performance like that where <laughs> at the end of the game you're and like, the seventh seed. We're, yeah, we're you're like, against you, it now. Well, well, how about yeah. this? Like someone tweeted at me, like each team each, or each conference gets to. Uh, they have to like re up their status for a seventh playoff team every year. So the AFC <laughs> could keep theirs because the Colts put on a performance, yeah. and the NFC I will like lose it. theirs because of the the Bears thing. I, I kind of like that. I mean, it would save us all a game uh, on the uh, on the weekend. But you know, it, like for Mitchell Trubisky to have that game, like where you're wondering at the end at the end of the game, like how did he complete almost sixty percent of his passes, sixty six percent of his passes? Like it was just awful and flaccid and. Many <laughs> his QBR was thirteen point one. I mean, right, that's, right. It's definitely flaccid territory, right? Thirteen point one. He completed almost seventy percent of his passes. Like, how is that even possible? I, I have, I have a, a solution to the the seven seed problem. The All six, right. the six seeds. We go back to the original like way we figured out the playoff field. What was it? Two wild card teams, four division winners, seven seed. The best, the team with the best remaining point differential, they go in. So then we would have got Cardinals in, or like DVOA or some nerd stat. It'd be like <laughs> the nerd team. So when they lose, we could all laugh at the nerds and be like, "Told you this team sucked. They should have never been in." Maybe, if they, maybe, if they win, we get a good game. We go alternate years. We get <laughs> nerd stat one year, and then the next year, just whichever team runs the ball the most. <laughs> like no matter what, no matter what their outcome is, if they just if they ground and pound, then we. We declare that I like it. Uh, yeah, that's all. I, I there's nothing else to be said about this game. Well, I mean, what Absolutely are the Bears going to do with Trubisky? Like, let him walk. <laughs> right, who cares? Yeah, they have to. Like, in this game, showed why you move on. They tried their little bootleg heavy approach to offense, and the Saints had no problem. Take like they were prepared for it. They knew this is all the Bears do now. So we didn't. Right. They didn't have to worry about anything else. So they could focus on that. They took those plays away, and once they took them away, Trubisky just looked helpless. He couldn't do anything. And yeah. this is why you move on from him as a quarterback because he's so limiting for the offense. Right, and I, I think it, it was, I think it was Romo during the game. He was talking about like, well, what do you do if you don't if you don't keep Trubisky? Who, it doesn't matter because right. what you're doing is it, it's just got to be something different and. The chances are it's going to be better. So, well, and you can pay so much less. Like you get right. somebody off the scrap. Like Jameis Winston is making a million dollars this year. Uh, Cam Newton is making a million dollars this year. Like if you keep Trubisky, like you just because of the way it works. Like there's no, there is no world in which you can be like, well, you're actually pretty crappy, so we're going to pay you like uh, a middle linebacker rather than a court. Like no, you have to pay him like a starting quarterback, and yeah, it just it would be ridiculous. And, you know, Chicago, they got a first-round pick again this year, so if they want to, go ahead and uh, and try to get a quarterback. It's really like that dire situation for you. Uh, right. And you did that by kind of sticking on with this uh, longer than you needed to. And just just forget about that last month where Trubisky looked like a good quarterback or he was at least producing like one. Like, that's fake. That's never coming back. That was the result of you guys making a change to the offense and defense is not being ready for it. Now they're going to be ready for it. Like, over a full offseason, if they study the Bears, they're going to be like, well, this is going to be easy to defend. And that Mitchell Trubisky is never coming back again. Yeah, and you had some really strong performances from David Montgomery over that final four games of the season. Like, he scored... Five touchdowns. He had two hundred or two hundred yard games. One game with ninety five yards. I mean, 
he he played really well and he didn't play really well on uh on Sunday. And hey, maybe I can pat myself on the back a little bit because I thought that that was going to be the key to the game, and he didn't do anything, and neither did the Bears. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's uh, let's let's take a brief look at the divisional round. Uh, the way I want to frame this is, I want to know what you guys are going to be looking into. Uh, it's too early to really have deep thoughts about these games. And I, I just want to prove to people how much you guys uh, dig in on this and really think about it and uh, come up with uh, like, it's, it's, you're not just sitting there like writing, Oh, uh, the, the obvious stuff. Like, yes, obviously the Jalen Ramsey versus uh, Devonte Adams will be interesting. Like you guys are looking at film and, and going deeper. So I want to know what you're thinking about these games and what you're going to dig into. And then we'll report back on Thursday and we'll have some actual uh, cultivated thoughts on, on what's going on. Uh, Saturday is the four thirty five game is, is the Rams Packers game. Uh, what will you be like? What, what are you going to think about here? What are you I mean, I think it comes down to, it's the same thing as last year in the playoffs for the Packers. It comes down to the run defense, and we saw them get run over by Kyle Shanahan in the 49ers, and I think there's a chance that that happens again with the Rams. I don't know if the the offensive performance is going to be as dominant. Like the, I think the 49ers only had to pass eight times. I think the Rams are going to have to pass more than that. But there's a chance that the Rams defense or Rams offense dominates this game, and I think that's the big question. If the Rams can run at will, I don't see why they can't upset the Packers. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's that's the shocking thing. It's like we were joking earlier that the Rams didn't have a quarterback. Uh, and like, oh, man, how are they going to what are they going to do? And then you remember that, that like uh, G- a Jimmy G led team did this to the Packers a year ago. So like we it can it, like that. You don't need a quarterback to 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 take advantage of this defense uh, the way it is. I mean, obviously, if golf can feel more comfortable with his thumb, his surgically repaired thumb and can throw the ball more. That gives the Rams a more dynamic attack. But acres has been, I think acres went for 120 some yards uh, this weekend. So it's definitely a possibility there. Uh, Ravens bills is the evening game on Saturday. What are you going to be looking into you guys? Uh, really? It's just to see if Lamar Jackson can, put on a enough of like a big enough of a Superman cave to keep pace with Josh Allen, Stefan Diggs. Cause I think that's going to be mm-hmm. the key. And, and the Ravens defense is good. And obviously they showed that against Tennessee, but playing against Allen and Diggs, uh, I think just presents a different challenge because like we talked about before, they're so good at the off schedule plays and the plays where, you know, Allen can make a guy miss in the pocket and hold it on and then hold on to the ball a little bit longer. And then next thing you know, Stefan Diggs is wide open on like some comeback route where he did a try right. and move that, you know, like where he's one of the only guys that can get open that late uh, in the down. Uh, you know, I, I, that that's going to be the interesting spot for me because Buffalo's defense, uh, I think, you know, they are not that good. And I expect Baltimore's rushing game to put together a better performance than uh, Jonathan Taylor did. I mean, you know, if I think if Jonathan Taylor had not just run into the backs of his offensive lineman every other carry, we probably might be talking about a little bit of a different outcome. And I don't expect – uh, Lamar Jackson and J.K. Dobbins and Gus Edwards to do the same. So, you know, it's really just kind of seemed like if that rushing attack can keep up with what the Bills are going to do through the air. Uh, the early lines on these games, by the way, the uh, Packers are a touchdown favorite and Buffalo is a two and a half point favorite in the later game. 
Uh, that makes sense for Buffalo, Baltimore, but that that Packers line feels a little big to me. I don't know. Maybe it's the quarterback situation. Yeah, but yeah, for sure. I think the Rams have a chance there. Uh, the three o'clock game on Sunday is the Browns Chiefs game, and Kansas City's a double digit favorite, ten point favorite here. Uh, no, no sentimental love for the Browns from the uh, from the bookmakers. <laughs> there's, there's no room for that when you're taking bets, I guess. Uh, but what what will you guys dig into as you're thinking about it? Are Nick Chubb and Cream Hunt good enough to like give you a fighter's chance against Patrick Mahomes? Then I think that that's a big question for the Browns because the, the Chiefs' run defense has been really bad uh basically all season long and now like i said before like you're coming in with you know the best running back tandem in the nfl like two guys who on like if cream hunt is on his own team we've seen him lead the league in rushing before we know that nick chubb has the talent to do that so uh like if they're if they can rip off chunks and make it even easier for baker uh against that run defense particular uh, you know, I, I I just think that that's a, a matchup that can get a little hairy for Kansas City. Uh, Buccaneers Saints is the final game of the weekend. New Orleans opens as a three point favorite. Uh, Breeze and Brady, just a just a bunch of 40 something <laughs> dudes tossing the old pigskin, man. Coming off a tough week, both of them. Yep. <laughs> I'll leave it at that. But uh, I think in this matchup, I think in this matchup, it comes down to like what I said earlier, Sean Payton versus Todd Bowles. I was like watching the film from the the week nine game earlier today. I was waiting to start this. And one thing that stood out was the Saints were doing a lot of that thing where you, you put out run heavy personnel, like two backs, two tight ends, and they were spreading it out and attacking the Bucks base defense and they were getting matchups. And I think that's that's really what Sean Payton is known for, like formations to get certain matchups. And if he's able to do that consistently, I don't think it even matters if Drew Brees isn't himself or isn't as good as he once was and can't throw the ball because he's going to get wide open throws. And that's what the game comes down to for me, especially with how this Saints defense matches up with that Bucks passing game. I think they have the depth in the secondary to cover all those guys the Bucks have and really put the playmaking responsibility on Tom Brady, which I don't know. He's 43. I don't know if he's capable of doing that. All right. Well, we'll uh, take a deeper look at these games on Thursday's show. We're still sort of planning that out, but I'm sure we will get into the film and the numbers and try to figure out, try to predict what's going to happen. Uh, let's take a spin around the news, the, the news going around in the NFL coaching carousel stuff. Uh, the, the urban Meyer to Jacksonville rumor is still out there, still lingering. It seems to be the one that, uh, has the most steam to it. Thoughts on that. I don't get why urban is going for this really. Cause I mean, this is so different than running an NFL team, but, I, I don't really I, – I wouldn't – if if I was a Jacksonville fan, I wouldn't really have any qualms with, like, what the actual on-field product will look like. It'll probably look fine. But uh, the roster management, like, day-to-day stuff is a big jump from a college program, which is the only thing that I would, I would really have questions right. about. Yeah. Yeah, like, it's, for me, it would just be the, the morality of it, just with everything that Urban Meyer comes with. And then, like Chuck says – Managing an NFL locker room is way different than managing a college locker room. But from like an X's and O's and 
just running the football team, I think it will be fine. I, Urban Meyer comes off as like a smart guy who understands how the game has evolved. So I don't think that there will be any issues there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I wrote this a couple of weeks ago that re- really it's just a question like he's he's operated as such a dictator the places he's gone. Right. And, you know, when you're a college coach, you have all the power. You have the ability to say, hey, kid, I'm pulling your scholarship. Like, I'm not renewing your scholarship. Like players just have to listen to you. They have no leverage. Uh, you know, the the transfer portal gives players a little bit more ability uh, to do that. Now, Meyer left Ohio State a couple years ago before it became such uh, such a, a piece of uh, leverage for players, but he, I mean, it's, it's just a question like Greg Schiano w- was a great quote unquote, great college coach, obviously not anywhere near as good as Urban Meyer. Urban Meyer is probably the best college coach of all time. Uh, but Schiano, uh, you know, just flamed out with the bucks because he tried to act like he was both a college coach and Bill Belichick at the same time. And the players just were not having it. Uh, so I, I think there's some danger of that happening, happening with Meyer, uh, just him not being able to, to really navigate that. And also it, like Chuck said, like, is he going to be the guy making player decisions? Cause when you're a college coach, you're also the GM, you know, like you, you have every decision. If the Jags want to be good, they need to involve other people in that process. And Meyer needs to be able to get along with them. Uh, so I guess we'll, see how that all plays out. It's also, I mean, we've mentioned it before, but it's just disappointing that this Meyer rumor has been out there long before the Jags uh, even started this process, meaning that they are just ignoring the Rooney rule, uh, just not even pretending to to try to make, make this work. Uh, tell me about some other coaching names out there. We, we talked a little bit about Arthur Smith, but he really is the guy that his name is all over the place. There's at least four teams interested, according to reports. Um, what else are you guys like? What else are you looking at as you look at some of the? It's, it's always hard to tell, right? There's so many. We're hearing about guys interviewing, and this this team's interested in this guy. Like a lot of it, smoke screens. A lot of it is agents just leaking stuff to try to bolster their guy. I mean, there's a lot of. Uh, chicanery going on behind the scenes right now. So it's hard to tell what's actually going on, but what are you guys looking at? I think it's just trying to figure out who's the first domino to fall. I don't know whether it's Biennemi or Dayball and how those teams and how long they stay in the playoffs is going to affect that. I really think the first person to lose between those two guys is probably the first domino to fall. And once that happens, I think we're going to see these other names start to go like the Joe Brady's and Arthur Smith and I mean, if I had if I had my pick, I would want Dave Hall in in Los Angeles, where you can work with uh, Justin Herbert, or I'd have the enemy get there. I think that's my biggest concern is who's going to be working with Herbert because I think he's the best. I I would say quarterback of the last two draft classes, and I think that's going to shape that. It might shape that division, reshape it because it looks like the Chiefs are just going to d- dominate it for the rest of time. But I think if Herbert and the Chargers can get a good coach, I think they can at least compete with the Chiefs. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think the most interesting spot for me is, like, as we unfold over the next couple of weeks, is uh, Houston with right. everything that's going on with Deshaun Watson, where uh, he's not happy that the ownership didn't interview Eric Bieniemy, And it's just like, why would you not interview Eric Bieniemy? Like, I, even outside of, like, 
the reports, not even rumors, like the straight reports where they told Watson that they were going to consult him on the GM and head coaching search and then had, didn't really do either one of those things. Uh, where they hired Nick Casario without talking to him. And then uh, with the B enemy stuff, pretty much what happened was Patrick Mahomes talked to Deshaun and was like, Eric is a beast. You guys need to hire him. And Eric and Deshaun took that to ownership and ownership didn't really ask anything on it. So I am interested to see who they pick for that head coaching spot, because it's not just about trying to get quality play out of the Texans. It's also about trying to get Deshaun Watson in a spot where he wants to come back in 2021, because it's unlikely that he gets traded uh, just because of how good of a player he is and his contract status. But we've seen situations across other sports where like if Deshaun Watson just says, I'm not coming back to the Texans and I refuse to, then their hands are going to be tied. And, And he's a good enough player also where he absolutely has that leverage if he wants to execute it. Yeah. Uh, and I don't I so I don't know how closely you guys followed this story. It sort of unfolded Sunday morning uh, and there were a lot of different people reporting a lot of different things. Apparently, uh, the the Texans were very close and maybe had even offered Omar Khan, uh, the president of football and business administration for the Steelers, uh, the their head job. And that they they had hired a search firm as as teams generally do, and they pay these search firms hundreds of thousands of dollars like per week, uh, and that the search firm identified Khan and Lewis Riddick, who's a Monday Night Football analyst, as the top two candidates, and then Cal McNair just sort of went rogue and went back to Nick Casario, who the Texans tried to hire to pair with Bill O'Brien, uh, and I I honestly think like that if you're really getting down to it. The fact that they are just sort of in a way they're running it back with the Patriot way, even though they just got rid of Bill O'Brien, who was supposed to be able to bring that. Uh, And the players like J.J. Watt made it pretty clear that the players were relieved to be rid of Bill O'Brien and that they did not like whatever he was bringing. And and that was Deshaun's tweet. Right. He said something like some things never change his he's he's since. deleted it but that was the thing that keyed us all to the fact that he was upset uh it just feels like i mean i I think he has a point like it just feels like this organization is not being run in a way that makes any sense this jack easterbeck guy is still around and clearly influencing what's happening uh and J.J. Watt apologized to Deshaun Watson for wasting a year of his time in that and you know we had a post on it that Tons of people read. Uh, it was like a very heartfelt moment. But like, really, the people wasting Deshaun Watson's times are the the Houston Texans ownership with with these decisions. And he seems to know that. I think. Uh, would he actually? I mean, is that how this is going to play out? Is he going to to push that hard, or can Casario bring in a coach and prove, hey, we're I'm I'm my own guy. I'm going to do things my own way. We have our own plan. Like, can it, will will he be able to salvage that? I don't even know. Like, I think hiring Josh McDaniels in a vacuum isn't a bad decision. I think he's a, a good offensive coordinator, and I think his system fits Deshaun Watson well just because it's going to put a lot of the mental burden on him, which I think is a good thing. And it's a system he's familiar with. It's the Patriots system that he's been running under Bill O'Brien, but I think it's more creative under McDaniels. I think he's more 
right. able to adjust and respond to defenses than Bill O'Brien ever was. But considering everything that's gone on with Easterby and the Bill O'Brien and this, you know, the Texans have been trying to build the Patriots of the South for the, the last couple of years. I just don't see how you could actually try that without upsetting your quarterback. You have to know that this is going to upset him. And placating Deshaun Watson, I think, should be at the top of their list of priorities right now. Right. I mean, there are a lot of people who can probably coach at the NFL level that you could you could give a try. Uh, but there are not many dudes who play quarterback as well as Deshaun Watson does. I mean, it's just this supply and demand thing. Uh, let's, let's close out the show by uh, continuing to... Uh, infuriate Boston people <laughs> and Patriots fans. Uh, Bill Belichick is apparently, I don't know if there's a new update on this, but but news leaked Sunday night. Of course, Bill Belichick's out of the playoffs for the first time in how long and uh, news leaks during the, the playoff rounds that he is going to get the Medal of Freedom from Donald Trump uh, at some point this week. I think Thursday was the day. Uh, if Belichick goes ahead with this, does it change your view on him in any way, shape, or form? No, I mean <laughs> not at all. We already know what what the deal is when he wrote that letter to Trump after right, he wrote the letter. Like, uh, no, it's, I mean it, to me, it's just like this is all so absurd. Uh, the Presidential Medal of Freedom. <laughs> what did he do? Like survive this season without any passing weapons? Like give it to Cam Newton, and if that case, but it's it's just it's just like this this whole presidency is so stupid, and this is just like one of the last things where we're just like, yep, yeah, this is this is what it is in America right now. Bill Belichick getting the Medal of Freedom for some ungodly reason. Yeah, it's like. It's so ridiculous giving it to a football coach. It's like if Bill Clinton was going out and gave his Medal of Freedom to like George from Seinfeld. Like I don't understand what like what well, what purpose yeah. is this serving? To be to be clear, like the, uh, Donald Trump did not start the uh, the trend of giving it to sports people. There are like if you go look at Bill Clinton gave out like 110 of these things and there are some I don't know if Seinfeld, any of the Seinfeld characters they might have um but Maybe. it's a pretty dumb thing. Like it's, we That's should true. not take it seriously, but like at this point <laughs> Bill Belichick should be like, eh, nah, I'm I'm good." I'm like we just had an insurrection uh, that was encouraged by the president happened. There's so. no, he's taking the award. There's no way he's not accepting it because he's like a history buff who's like really loves that stuff. I don't think he's going to pass up an opportunity to to accept this award. I don't know if he's going to do it publicly, but that yeah. thing is going on his mantle. Oh man, that's so disappointing. The guy grew up at at the Naval Academy. Like he should know about honor and dignity. Uh, Maga though. Oh man. Maga, yeah. maga, maga. Uh, Charles, you're right. I mean, he he wrote <laughs> that note that Trump read in uh, at a campaign. The thing about the the letter is, like, I was so convinced that Trump actually wrote that letter because it sounded right. like it's his his voice. Yeah, uh, but Belichick's never said it wasn't him, right? I mean, he's never come out and. I think uh, he might have confirmed that it was him. Maybe I'm wrong, yeah. but there is some confirmation that it was him. Oh man, it's bad. It's bad. Wait, if if Trump offered you guys the Medal of Freedom, <laughs> would you accept it? No, 
Come on now. No. You wouldn't at least take it. Not publicly, would you at least would you take the award? I mean, no. is it worth money? Like, what, what am I going to do with it? What am I? Yeah, what am I supposed to do with that? That's a good, that's a good point. I'll, I'll be on a Wikipedia page. Like, I don't you know. Yeah, we don't even have Wikipedia pages, so we don't have anything to go on. Yeah, more prestigious award the the Medal of Freedom award or the Nickelodeon MVP award that Mitch won yesterday. I think Nickelodeon. The children are our future, man. So whatever they say, <laughs> uh, I, that's a bad sign for the future that they watched that game and thought Mitch Trubisky was the best player on the field. They're, they're kind, Stephen. They're kind. They realized that he would feel bad about what had happened, and they wanted to lift him up. I almost considered writing a post like just roasting kids for voting Mitchell. Like, are you? Are you can you idiots see? <laughs> Dear kids, you are bad at evaluating football. Love, Stephen. Oh man! All right. Well, we're going to be back Thursday. Uh, we'll look ahead to the divisional round. It's getting fun. This is this is a fun time of the year. Uh, I don't know what else to talk about. There's uh, there's going to be coaching moves. Maybe that first domino will drop. Uh, we're going to start thinking a little bit about the draft. We know that there are uh, all, all the rest of the NFL fans out there are wishing their teams were still playing and and thinking ahead to the draft. So maybe we'll start looking toward that too a little bit uh national title game is tonight there's a bunch of players uh who will be in the draft after finishing out their college tour um henry mckenna actually has a post on our site ftw.usatoday.com where he just traces out some of those guys and i feel like chuck might be tweeting some thoughts over at Four verts uh, on some of those players. You should follow Steven. He's at the Steven Ruiz. I'm at Chris Corman. Uh, we'd love to talk to you if you have questions, thoughts, whatever. Maybe maybe we'll talk about it on the next pod. Uh, hit us up there. Any closing thoughts from you guys? Any anything left unsaid that you need to get out now before we get going? Uh, roll Tide. Roll Tide. Like it. I think. I think. Uh, the funny thing about the MVP award voting, and I'm still on this, by the way, <laughs> is that the second place guy was Akeem Hicks. So, like, the kids could appreciate, like, good line play and, like, run defense and Mitchell Trubisky, which is kind of amazing. <laughs> they, could, they could recognize that, that Akeem Hicks is a good football player, which is, like, beyond some of the like, football nerds out there, but they couldn't recognize that Mitchell Trubisky is awful. <laughs> Just inconsistent. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> I'm gonna when the when the uh, when the pandemic's over, when we're vaccinated, I'm definitely gonna bring my son to hang out with you for a day, and you're gonna you're gonna yeah, you watch some film. How, how children work. Uh, <laughs> so, all right, thanks for joining us here at the counter. We will talk to you next time. Take care. The counter, an NFL podcast from USA Today Sports. <laughs>